Take three. Take three. Oklahoma City 82 podcast, Chisholm Hall, Brady Trailer. <laughs> at Brady Does Sports, at Chisholm go, Hall. Go, 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 I'm go. so sorry. <laughs> My computer has screwed this up. I have a pretty nice computer. It's, I'm not going to act like it's no, they're pretty. getting us to space. Pretty nice computer. It can't handle what we're asking it to do. Yeah. Well, these things happen. Sometimes you, you place high expectations on things that appear to have the talent to do so. Oh, and then, and then it fails miserably. I see what you're doing here. Yeah, so see what you're doing here. I guess like the workload that we placed on your computer computer was like Damian Lillard. And the computer is the thunder, and uh, yeah, the workload one in five. Fair enough. Really, sh- just a shame. The second one, I really thought we were gonna make it, but nope, not the case. Yeah, we, we talked about Zion to the Mavericks. We talked about um, I can't remember. We talked about like we the first time. We talked about Game of Thrones and writing, like the concept of writing t- television shows. So, like, we've really crossed a lot of bridges, but you're not going to get any of that. Game of Thrones sucks now. <laughs> That's Brady's hot take. Uh, all right, let's do the one Thunder news that I have any vague interest in talking about. Patrick Patterson has uh, opted into his player option, uh, $5.7 million for next season. This was expected, especially after his exit interview when he alluded that he would be opting back in. Um, I was so shocked, Chisholm. Were you shocked? I was so shocked. I mean, at the time, I was plugging something in, and then I literally got shocked. So, And then the buzz came up from uh, Woj. I was like, oh, okay. So I was being shocked at the time. Gotcha. But um, no, this the particular news was not surprising. Right. No. Uh, so Patrick Patterson is going to be a Thunder next year. We also made a whole bunch of a Thunder, a Heat, a Magic jokes. Now those are all gone forever. Uh, he's going uh, to be the, the, a Thunder player. The two teams I followed most of my life, the Heat and the Thunder, it's the same problem. Like, yeah. I don't know how to do this <laughs> without sounding like an idiot. Um, so Patrick Patterson will be back. A lot of people are on Twitter. The popular take was, well, you got to give him another chance. I mean, what, what can you expect, though? What do you expect? If the Thunder gave Patrick Patterson this hypothetical chance that he has not been given... Like, what do you expect? What do I expect out of Patrick Patterson next year? Basically, what we got him out of this year. Well, um, I mean, can you expect... Here's, here's the barometer. Can you expect better or worse than what Markeith Morris gave you this season with the Thunder? Can I answer the same? Okay. All right, that's fine. That's about that's yeah. about what I expect out of Patrick Patterson. Okay. We're like, one out of five games, you're like, wow, I'm really glad they brought this guy in. And then four out of five games, you're like, oh, mm. he played 16 minutes tonight? Mm-hmm. That's what I. Well, expect. here's the thing about Markeith is because he kind of has the same problem that Patrick Patterson does, being on the Thunder. Like, what's the Thunder's identity? Like, we're athletic, we're fast, we're going to get out in the open floor. Um, we've got a bunch of athletes. We're manufacture points because we don't have like on paper great shooting. You know, we've got guys that are developing, but on paper we don't have great shooting, so we have to manufacture points this way. Markeith Morris is not a supreme athlete. He's not fast. He's not going to get out in the open floor. He's not a wide-open basketball player. Patrick Patterson is the same thing. But Markeith brought an element of... He brought an edge. He brought a physical edge that the Thunder felt that they needed. And I think that that's where, that's where you got... Whatever production you got out of Markeith Morris, it stemmed from that. Not because, oh, he can space the floor because he's kind of an okay shooter or... He can get you some trash like rebounds or some putbacks like Patrick Patterson on paper can do. Patterson is not an athlete. He's not going to get out in the open floor. He doesn't fit the Thunder's identity. And then also he doesn't bring that edge. So I don't know if you can even hope for the same with Markeith. Yeah. 
Uh, I don't. I, I I don't know if I totally disagree with you at all, but I just don't know if the Thunder have a whole lot of options. Obviously, there's a no. lot of people out there who say he could be a great salary cap filler if you're doing a bigger trade. Sure, hmm. he's five million dollars. That could help you get to a bigger number if you're trying to make a big swing. Um, so that's a possibility. But overall, I just think they're going to have to just try to hope that he can either play backup five, which he did in some stretches, but a majority of his time was played at the four. Um, and if he can play backup power forward behind Jeremy Grant. Can he get 16 minutes a night out of Patrick Patterson? Well, hopefully that doesn't come at the expense of Jeremy Grant playing more minutes at the five. Like, Which is possible. Uh, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> you don't think, oh, like him playing? At the expense of getting Jeremy Grant the reps that are probably necessary for him to, for that to be an actual weapon that the Thunder could throw out in the postseason for matchups. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they don't need to be tailoring to Patrick Patterson at the expense no. of Jeremy Grant, 80 points this year. Um, but that's what you got to expect. I don't know what free agency moves. Obviously, they need to get a big man. So with Patrick Patterson, I guess the, the nice thing there is that there's a power forward out there that you really love as a backup power forward. You can slide him over to the backup five. If there's a backup five out there that you really love, like this past season when Nerlens Noel, you can go get him and slide Patrick Patterson the power forward. You can be a little bit flexible with there. I, I don't think uh, if you came back and Patrick Patterson's your backup center, I don't think that's ideal. But that's not gonna kill your team. No, it's not like there's like you're gonna play Boban, but like that's like the only backup center I can think of that I'd be like, oh yeah, that's a bad matchup. Where you just feel like they would get dominated on the inside. So I guess that if you're looking for a positive, the flexibility is he could play either one. So now going into free agency slash trade market this summer. You're looking for a backup big, and it can be a, either a guy who can play both or just a backup center or a backup power forward. But Chisholm, Nerlens Noel loves playing in Oklahoma City. He's coming back. He is not. He's not coming back. He's not coming back. <laughs> Breaking news. Probably. Uh, all right. A couple seasons uh, have been ended since we last sat down, Brady, um, one of which was the Boston Celtics. They lost in five games to the Milwaukee Bucks after dominating in game one in Milwaukee. They lose four straight. Uh, Kyrie Irving has his bags packed, allegedly. His uh, teammates are driving him to the airport, allegedly. And I even heard a rumor that, now this is just a rumor that Bill Simmons reported on his podcast that I'm just simply relaying. I don't have inside sources in Los Angeles, obviously. Uh, that the reason Tyron Liu did not get the head coaching job at the Los Angeles Lakers is because Liu and Kyrie Irving did not get along and Kyrie is coming to the Lakers this summer and said, if you bring in Lou, I am not coming to the Lakers this summer. I, I would I would be 100% on board with that if Jason Kidd's like, situation did not exist in this, in this situation. Like, I, I could certainly see a coach like Ty Lou who's won a title, and like, look, is Ty Lou the best coach in the world? Is he, like, when you say championship coaches, does his name, like, fly out out of your mouth phil jackson like no red it, arbok it, it doesn't pat riley tyler top it, four my it, mount rushmore it, it his name doesn't fly out of your mouth when he says championship coaches but the fact remains he's won a title so he has that swagger about him um he should have that respect especially from a franchise like the lakers that has won championships and knows what it takes um so I could see why Tyler would be like, no, screw this. I don't want to. I don't want to be a lame duck coach with the guy that you actually want right. on staff already. Right. Like, I don't want to be grooming anything for anybody. I've won a championship. So if that didn't exist, I'd be a hundred percent on board with this take about how he and Kyrie just don't like each other, and that's why he doesn't want to coach the Lakers. 
But I mean, it, it can, that those, those things can both exist though. They can both exist at the same time. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to deduce where Bill would get that information from. He just said that's what he was told. He's probably, you- he's getting told that from somebody in Los Angeles, probably somebody that's either with the organization or a fan of the organization that's incredibly connected to it. Or one of those random people who are just telling Jeannie Buss that she needs to trade LeBron James. One of like the 45 people she has advising her. <laughs> Can I, yes. And hopefully I'm telling someone someone news by this is there Stephen A came out and said that people are advising Jeannie Buss that he needs, she needs to consider trading LeBron James. Mm-hmm. If you listen to the whole quote from Stephen A, he doesn't say people in the front office. He specifically pe- says just people around Jeannie Buss, like fans, her yoga instructor, mm-hmm. people teaching her how to do Pilates on Sunday morning are telling her he specifically said it's not people in the front office. It's just people around her in her life. Really? Uh, uh, earmuffs, Chisholm, since you're not um, caught up on Game of Thrones yet, so I don't want to spoil anything. Don't spoil you. anything on the podcast. Don't be that guy. But uh, it's going to be vague. If anybody goes Mad Queen out of anything, it should be Jeannie Buss, <laughs> not not somebody else who's been developed as a certain as a different type of character for seven years. But that's either near near uh, nor there. Um, yeah, this the Lakers thing. Just keep coming. Like, please keep coming with this stuff. I just I gobble it up. It's so fascinating to see how terribly they are run. Yeah, it is just so it's so humorous. It's so comedic. Um, how an organization with every single resource. It's like, you know, like we don't cover college football. I mean, you you do like on your show, which is yeah, come on, great now. great show by the way. Two, six to eight, Monday six to eight, Friday, 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 Friday franchise yeah. drive. Yeah, you'll hear um, John Tuber and Colby talk a lot, and then me chirping every so yeah. often and try to make them laugh That's but the whole shtick surely like you've had these conversations before or something like them about, about how the university of texas is just so bad when you when you consider like they've won championships they've they got great players Handful in their of history they've got great tradition but when you take a big step back and you look at all their resources all all the money they have all the built-in advantages that they have then you look at what they've actually like their actual results and you're like oh, I, I would expect more i expect more from the lakers right now even though they are just um, one of the many victims of nepotism just poor leadership poor just a poor i guess view of how they're standing in, in the greater nba right now it's like yes you're still the lakers lebron just walked over to you guys for no reason other than the fact that you are the Lakers. Space Jam 2. Space Jam 2. <laughs> but that's not how you become a great team. It's not. Yeah. It. And just because you've got the purple and gold on your jersey doesn't mean it's going to work out every single time. And But hey, I mean, Genie Bus wants to keep screwing this thing in the, uh, like like this, then go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry, Frank Vogel, but it ain't going to work. A uh, couple of thoughts. I wasn't anticipating going down the Lakers rabbit hole, but I'm on board with it. We haven't talked <laughs> about this in our other two tries. Um, my thoughts on the Lakers is the Tyron Lue stuff, um, Whether I, I doubt it actually had anything to do with Kyrie Irving. The Tyron Lue wanted five years. The Lakers only wanted to give him three. Tyron Lue also didn't want to take Jason Kidd on as his head assistant. All that makes a lot more sense to me than Kyrie Irving being mm-hmm. a factor because uh, he doesn't play for the Lakers. Um, so all that makes sense. And maybe they lucked into a different, a better coach or a better coach for that situation. And Frank Vogel, who took a three-year deal because that's basically the extent of LeBron James's time in LA. That's guaranteed. 
I assume the Lakers didn't want to have a coach two years after LeBron that they only had because of LeBron. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense for them. So I get where they're kind of coming from. Um, the 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 other point that I hate is that people either are railing on the Lakers for hiring Frank Vogel, or people are saying, "Hey, hey, hey, Frank Vogel has made it to the Eastern Conference Finals twice." With Roy Hibbert and Paul George and like slamming their fists on the table, like how disrespectful in an it is NBA for... that's like almost unrecognizable at this yeah. point. <laughs> and people just slamming their fists on the table, trying to like defend Frank Vogel, slash defend the Lakers, slash defend anyone who has criticism. Like sometimes people are just very anti criticism. I get all that. It was a fine hire. Why can't I just say he was fine? It's no, like a it's... six out of ten. Like I'm lukewarm on it. Is he horrible? No. Is he the greatest thing that's ever happened to the Lakers organization? No. Like why why does it have to be you're very pro Frank Frank Vogel or you're very anti the Lakers and there's no this it was just so I was so over it yesterday. No, I I don't think anyone thinks that um Frank Vogel is a bad hire. It's an underwhelming hire just because it's the Lakers and because they tried to go after Who the hell did you want? They tried Did you want a young up and comer? They, oh wait, they had one and they let him go. They tried to go after some like two guys. They and they said no. So in that respect, people the are Monty going Williams to thing is inexcusable. Yeah. yeah, in that respect, they're going to criticize. But um, I don't think it's going to work. But I, that doesn't mean that I think it's going to be because Frank. I think Frank Vogel is a bad coach. It's not going to be Vogel's fault. This is he's stepping in, into something that is not his fault. And it's like, yeah, the Lakers could turn it around because they've got LeBron James and maybe a LeBron James that's healthy the entire year. Maybe they make the playoffs, and then you take your chances with LeBron James in the postseason. Um, so th- there can be some success, but what they're looking for is not going to happen. And then I think that's why you can kind of see the writing on the wall that Vogel's going to get the can, but it's not because he's a bad coach. He's a good coach. But it's he's just going into a, a situation that he will have zero control over from the outside. Right. No, no, no. That's not Frank Vogel's team. Uh, it's more Jason Kidd's team and LeBron's team, it feels like. It's it's LeBron's team. This is what LeBron's done his entire career. LeBron wants to do He is the all-time, I'm not doing anything but controlling everything guy. LeBron wants to do everything on his terms, and LeBron wants to make sure... Also... He, he, LeBron wants... He, he wants his boys running the team. He wants his boys running the league. He wants his boys on his on his roster. He wants his boys around him. Like He, he just wants his guys around him. He's such a control freak, and that's right. fine. Michael's a control freak. Kobe was a control freak. The greats are control freaks. Right. It's not. It's not a dig, but that's the reality. And you got to take the good and the bad consequences that come with that. And this is a bad consequence of that. I'm trying to decide. If LeBron was tweeting a lot this weekend. Yes, he was. The anti-analytics thing, and yeah. I. It's the only thing dumber than saying analytics are stupid is the people who are very pro-analytics coming out and feeling the need to defend and sa- math. And saying like, the eye test is stupid. Yeah, well, it's just, it's a whole thing. So LeBron comes out and says, and analytics are dumb. Look at that C.J. McCollum pull-up jumper. Yeah, because one free-throw line pull-up jumper just discredits every ounce of math that you could possibly do. I think everyone, everyone understands, oh, yeah, yeah, three-point shots are worth more than two. But if it's the last possession of the game and we're tied... I guess it doesn't really matter. I think we can all just figure that. I think Evan Lake people know that. Yeah, in crunch time, it doesn't matter. Just get the best shot you can. I think everyone knows that, but the anti-analytic people try to act like analytic people are just saying, if you shoot only threes, 100% of your shots, you're going to be doing great. Like I, So I was over that, 
And I thought, how stupid of them to come out. And then, like, Kurt Goldsberry, who I just read his book. It's great. He's very, very pro-analytics. And coming out and then railing on those people who are railing on them. <laughs> and I, what are we doing? It's an orgy of... What are we doing? Of bashing people on Twitter, on the internet. Mad and real, mad and real I life. I try people. my best that when someone tweets me something stupid, I just go, oh, yeah, that guy's an idiot, and I move on. But I was, oh, God, I'm just... I it's, mean, you, you could tie it back to the Thunder, you know, since this is a Thunder podcast, but, like, imagine if Russell Westbrook's cotton shot, the mid-range jumper, didn't fall off the face of the earth. In crunch time, if Russell takes that shot, is anybody saying that's a bad shot? No, because that's what Russ, that's Russell's bread and butter. CJ McCollum's bread and butter is coming off that mid-screen and get, hitting a pull-up jumper. That's how he's made his career. Those are good shots. Yeah. That, just like I said with... um. You know, Tyloo may maybe hating Kyrie, but also hating the Jason Kidd situation. Those things can both exist. It doesn't have to be one or the other. These this can also exist. You can say mid range jumpers are bad when you're talking about the broader spectrum of the NBA. They're bad player. with eight minutes left in the first quarter. They're bad with uh ni- nineteen seconds left on the shot clock. Dribble, dribble, mid range jumper. Yeah, that's bad. Um, but when you bring it down to a micro level and you're and you're talking about you're focusing on one particular player if that particular player's strength is that mid-range jumper take that shot i don't care what any what anybody else on twitter says it's a good shot yeah i was just surprised that the people who are supposed to be quote-unquote smart or were arguing uh the other thing that lebron james said is basically my my absolute favorite thing that specifically basketball players say is when you want to talk about real basketball, you co- you know, players are the only ones who understand real basketball. And when I say that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Desmond Mason, I talk to Desmond all the time. He knows more defensive coverages and stuff like that. When you talk about guarding a pick and roll, there's like four coverages. Now, can you recognize it just off the eye test and live? A lot of people can't because they're not familiar with it. But it's not like it's a foreign language. It's not like you're talking in Chinese. Like it's one of the reasons why people like will look at it. Steve players H- make it sound like basketball is so damn complicated that if you never played, if you didn't play NBA basketball, you just have no clue what you're looking at. That's not true. We all have televisions. We can all pause and play. We can all play it in slow motion. And like I said, defensive schemes. People like to really, really, really pump up how difficult they are, there's like five in the league. There's like, there's like five versions of defense in the league, and you might not be able to recognize it in real time, but if you slowed it down, I could show you, and anyone could show you, and then you would know. Offenses are motion, motion, and then either isolation or pick and roll. I swear to God, it's like 70% of the possession. Don't make it sound like you're doing Mandarin calculus. Like yeah. It's not that difficult. I'm uh, sorry. That I just hate... When players say, oh, well, you're so stupid because you didn't play in the NBA, so you can't understand basketball. That's You are making it way more complicated, therefore sounding stupid. Yeah, I think that the uh, like the, the broad statement of like a, play, a former player telling, like me, like it hasn't really happened to me yet. I'm sure it will happen at some point in my career. But some former player telling me, 5'11", 200-pound Brady Trantham, you've never played, so you don't understand. That only applies if I'm saying some broad statement, if broad criticism. About- to, like, Steven Adams sucks at defense because he just gave up that, that easy dunk. It's like, no, that's 
that really wasn't his fault. Like it looks like it was, but he he was responsible to help over here. So in that same vein, everybody's on the same line on defense. He had to have some help come his way with Jeremy Grant. That didn't happen. It wasn't on Steven. So yeah, like if I'm going to sit here and say something very broad and critical, um, and I and it shows that I don't really know what I'm talking about. Sure, you can say that, but to just only say like you never played. So you don't understand because you simply disagree with the way somebody is coming about their conclusion. And it's backed by, you know, math. It's backed by eye test. It's backed by a combination of both. Like, I think that that's silly. And I've always thought that that you never played. I think that that's silly. If you The, the ones that I will give players credit for of I will never understand is, well, you don't know what a game seven's like. Or you don't know what it's like to have 60,000 people screaming at you. in per- Like, that. you're right. I have no clue mentally what you're or the fatigue factor. Has anybody ever gone to their favorite team's game on the road wearing your favorite team's colors? I go to the Bulls games every year. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure people know what it's like to be yelled at for no reason other than what you're wearing by a few hundred people, like a few thousand people. I think that's I don't think that that's that big of a deal. Um uh, these are these are just all defense mechanisms that people throw out when they're in an argument and they've either they've they either got bored with the argument or they've lost the argument so they go on to their defense mechanism of you don't know what it's like. It's like, well no, but it's my job to try my best to understand what it's like. And you know what? More than half the time players don't want us to know because they don't tell us. Right. So it's like how how can we? But I guess I guess we live in the age of I just want to play basketball and go home. I don't want to get paid millions of dollars to do it. I just want to play basketball and go home. I get that. I want to play in an empty gym. So, yeah. My play. overall point, if you want to tell me I don't understand what the pressure was like or how hard it is to respond in that moment, sure. But don't tell me I don't understand pick and roll coverage because anyone with a YouTube account in 40 minutes can figure out what you're trying to do. Like, basketball is beautiful because it's simple. And there, there's a whole bunch of different ways to do a whole bunch of different things. But don't say, only real players understand real basketball. God, get out of here with that. Get out of here with that. Um, you need a Desmond Mason punching bag or like his face on a dartboard. No, I'll give Desmond credit. He never, I don't think he ever gets on the people don't understand the X's and O's of it. I don't think that's Desmond's stick. I think Desmond says you don't understand what it's like to be a professional athlete, which he, on that level... I could agree. I mean, you're right. I don't know what it's like to be a professional athlete. I don't know what it's like for like 97% of the country to hate you. And then if you get traded to their team, a different 3% love you, and then the other 90% still hate you. Well, I mean, I could tell you as like somebody that puts his opinion out there, I can tell you what it's like to have th- at least 3,000 people call you an idiot on, on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't have that part. <laughs> All right. Uh, we got... I don't know. 10, 15 more minutes here, Brady. And I had... Here's what I had lined up for us to talk about. The Houston... Golden State Series, Philly, I wrote Philly Sixers, that's not right, Philly, Toronto, uh, Denver, Portland, and the NBA Lottery. What you? What are you thinking? What do you um, want to go down? Let's, let's do Houston, Golden State, because I think that that's probably a poignant topic for Thunder fans. Probably. Yeah, so Golden State wraps up in six um, after Houston gets both of their victories at home in games three and four, then Golden State goes two straight. Obviously, Kevin Durant got hurt. We just found out a few minutes ago that he's not going to be playing in game one and more than likely not be playing in game two either against Portland. Um, a lot of people have written off Golden State in Houston for game six, uh, but Clay was yeah, it, Clay, it, and Steph was great down the stretch. It was one of those situations where it's like, 
I, I could I could understand if Houston wins tonight because they're playing at home. I can understand if Golden State wins tonight because they're Golden State. Like it was just kind of like I don't know what to expect. I, I didn't think Golden State would lose the series because Kevin Durant was hurt now. Um, so in in that respect, it wasn't surprising. But um, I think we should talk about this because I thought it was a good conversation that we were having prior to um, we even started recording the first take. <laughs> now that we're on take four hundred thousand, but uh, um, you know, with Houston and particularly Daryl Morey and the way that he's gone about you know building this team. I think that this is an example of how this, I just don't see why this gets championed and why, and and this is why it doesn't work. And what I mean by that is, is you go back to the year Russell won the MVP. So 2016, 17, uh, the year that a lot of people thought, you know, James Harden should have won the MVP. So that that's the official, probably the, the unofficial starting point of James Harden becoming what he has ultimately become. One of the best players in the league, best scorers in the league, best distributors in the league. Um, you have that with a roster of guys that are developing, that are good in their roles. And then you decide, okay, if we want to compete with Golden State, we've got to do what they did. We've got to get stars. So let's trade half our roster, gut half, half our roster of guys that I just described for a, a name, Chris Paul. Chris Paul's old. And look. old. Um, you couldn't really get away with it with this opinion. I, I didn't like the trade. You couldn't get away with it last year because Houston won a ton of games. They were um, a, probably a few three-pointers away from getting to the finals. They were like two minutes away from getting to the finals. Yeah, they were two minutes away from it. So I guess last year it's a bad take, but now you look back on it now. I just That's not how you win basketball games. That's not how you beat great basketball teams like Golden State. Um, I got in an argument with somebody on Twitter about KD going down, making um, like what's the di- what's the ultimate difference with KD on the Warriors and not on the Warriors? KD not on the playing for the Warriors makes Golden State theoretically beatable. You could beat them; they are mortal. We saw them draw so much blood in 2016 when the Thunder had them against the ropes, and then Cleveland beat them in the finals. With Kevin Durant, they're unbeatable in a seven-game series. They're just flat-out unbeatable. There's nothing you can do. Um, so for Houston, you have a chance, but you've kind of already squandered it because in the past you've given up a roster of guys that could develop around James Harden organically just because you want to get names that's not why Golden State's good. Golden State has names now, but it took them years to become those names, to become everything that they are now. And yes, they added a name in Kevin Durant, but they were already friggin' good. Right. So I, I'm. This is just me ranting about Daryl Morey because I, frankly, I'm surprised he hasn't appeared on some of our favorite podcasts by now to basically damage control this. This is disappointing. Like yeah, losing to Golden State is nothing like to like frown at because it's Golden State, but with all this swagger that you've presented with yourself, all this you know we were a hamstring away from the the finals last year. We're leaking and, that report, and, and we've we've broken basketball. And we understand it, you know, and have this bravado, and then have it kind of laid out in front of you like on a silver platter. Kevin Durant's not playing anymore beat them at home at least force a game seven and they can't even do that like i'm sorry but um james harden daryl morey mike d'antoni they're gonna have some answers some questions to answer this offseason 
Yeah, um, James Harden again. He's he's so hard to figure out. Game six, I didn't nearly get the oh James Harden is collapsing in the playoffs again vibe like we've gotten before. Yeah. It's I, it's never as like hot takeish as that. No, but game five where he doesn't take a shot for seven that minutes was, and forty seconds, and you're like that was shocking. Yeah, and you're. <laughs> And you're, you're, I don't know about you, but I'm like vaguely trying to give him the benefit of the doubt where I'm watching. I go, well, yeah, but he's like, you know, he's driving in the lane. He's kicking it out. He's like still playing in the offense. But then you go, but yeah, yeah, he, he might win the MVP and he's not going to take a minute for seven. He's not going to take a shot for seven minutes and 30 seconds. Like that's probably not okay. Um, so that's my shtick on James Harden is that he, he has to figure out this middle ground of I'm the best player on the team. I'm here to facilitate. But it's also nut-crutching time, and it's my job to make shots. I think he did that in Game 6. He did not do it in Game 5 or 4. Um, Mike D'Antoni, the king, the king of, of disappointing in the postseason, of winning a lot of games in the regular season and disappointing in the postseason. And he, I am the a king of over-civilization. Like, he's the king of this. <laughs> I could credit so many of his postseason losses to... Not making adjustments. The guy just doesn't adjust in the play. He's like, "This is who we are. This is the <laughs> offense we run. This is the defense we do. This is who. This is it." Yeah. Okay. You lost game one by forty, and he would come back in game two with the exact same game plan. He just doesn't ever adjust, and so I think that is at large fault. And that's to- that's what bought Billy Donovan a lot of good credit was after that first season, like he adjusted. Oh yeah, he adjusted multiple times in this postseason. Uh, in that postseason. And since then, like, especially this year, I felt like he's not adjusted well. And he's getting into that, like, he's probably already in that conversation with a lot of Thunder fans. Yeah. Just a poor coach who doesn't adjust in the postseason. But, um, yeah. Sneaky watch Mike Budenholzer in Milwaukee. He's also a, uh, we play our way. What do you mean? You want us, You want me to do what? Yeah, change my starting what? There's, you want me to play this guy instead of that? Why? There's something to be respected about basically riding the horse that got you there. And not abandoning everything just because you lost a game. Or- I don't think anyone's wanting him to like bench James Harden, but you'd be like, you know what? Maybe playing seven guys isn't gonna work. You know what? Maybe not checking Damian Lillard when he is completely hot from the logo when he crosses half court. If you're the Thunder, maybe that's not a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, so necessary adjustments like that, little things like that. Yeah, again, I'm not, or, but it's just, oh, so you're just going to run the exact same offense, even though it didn't work in game three. Yeah, sure, it could work in game four, but you're not going to, just a small adjustment, you're not going to vaguely throw out something different out there, or the fact that now it's two minutes left in the fourth quarter, you're not going to have something that you've worked on all year, and like this is the time that you bust that out. Like the Warriors famously in 2016 came out, they didn't run Kevin Durant and Steph Curry in any pick and rolls until the finals. Didn't run a single one, and in the finals they ran it like thirty times in the final two minutes of two games. You can get like, away with that when you've got all that talent. <laughs> yes, but like you got to have something in your back pocket. And Houston historically is just like, no, nope, we just we play the exact same way in minute nine of the first quarter as we do in minute one of the fourth quarter. We will drive and kick. Yeah, we, we drive play the and exact kick. same way. Oh, yeah. well, no, that's just what they do. That is Mike D'Antoni's fault. Daryl Morey, he uh, gets a lot of credit for finding diamonds in the rough like Daniel House and guys like that. Uh, but also deserves a little bit of the blame for, you know, I don't know. He he missed on a lot. Of, and then you watch James Ennis in the Sixers series. You go, wow, Houston really could have used some James Ennis. No, but they had to get names. They had Aust- to get names. Austin Rivers has a name because people know his dad. Yeah. Uh, James Ennis, he was like 70% of Trevor Ariza for the first time all year. 
in that Sixers series. Shout out for him. Yeah. You know, everybody everybody knew that this was happening during the offseason when they just let Ariza walk and Umba Mute walk. You know, like, again, Daryl Morey's going to be on podcast, so this narrative won't be out there. But Houston got cheap, and it bit him in the ass. Yeah, and I don't know if that's on Daryl. I read this big story coming it's, out. It's not necessarily on Daryl, but he's the guy who ultimately makes these decisions. Like, he's the guy who's responsible for the roster that's yeah. put forth. And yeah, Houston got new ownership, and maybe they wanted to be a little bit more cheap than the previous ownership. But again, this is Daryl Morey's team. And because he's kind of clever on Twitter and talks on social media and is on everybody's big podcast and friends with everybody at the Sloan Conference, like, yeah, that it's just never going to be out there. But he's done really nothing different other than he has James Harden, he's a generational scorer, and he's basically gutted a team to just get names and it hasn't worked yet so there it is yeah <laughs> has not worked yet uh all right toronto philadelphia that one just wrapped up last night um wild wild finish was uh, not aware Kawhi was capable of such emotion he was very it was excited great. it was cool look he was very excited uh it was a historic shot for a lot of different reasons uh sadly that was like the biggest playoff moment in raptors history like not even close. Like oh, there was. I think there was. A, was it Biz, Bismack Biombo hit like a near game winner, um, two or three seasons. It might have been three seasons ago. Because I mean, Toronto ultimately got swept by LeBron. But that's uh, your biggest moment, Bismack uh, Biombo. I'm, I'm trying to remember. Might have hit a game I, winner. I just remember it, it's funny because Vince Carter is still playing and he's going to play next season. But I do remember tweeting like when it happened, like Vince Carter is looking down from heaven, smiling right now at his Raptors. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was at least tweet worthy, whatever it was. I just can't remember exactly off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, but Kawhi Leonard hits a game winner over Joel Embiid. It was, you could shoot that shot a billion times and it would never go in like that ever again. It caught the front side of the rim. Like a sh- you, yeah, you a imagine- shot like that either goes straight in the net or you just flat out airball it. Well, once it hit the rim, I, once it hit the rim, because again, if you can imagine a, a rim, there's a front side that's going to fall into the basket, or front side that's going to fall out of the basket, and a, front, a back side that's going to fall in. It hit the front side, and that just either means it's going to pop up and out for a rebound, it's going to go straight down to the floor, it's going to bounce any, but it, hit the front side of the rim and the backboard so it popped it up and it spun and then it landed on the back side of the rim and basically fell in that is like a one in a billion shot the way that bounced off the backboard up the the rim and it hit the rim four times and all that stuff and it fell in and now Kawhi Leonard has ended the Philadelphia 76ers series and they've got free agents just like it feels like every team does uh, this summer that they're concerned about but the Raptors are moving on to the Eastern Conference Finals to face off against the Milwaukee Bucks um and the tale of two titans on some level. They've been the best two teams in the East for a while, um, for most of the season. But they're both led by basically one superstar, tons of guys who just fill roles. Like there, It is a clear number one giant gap, Chris Middleton, Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry, Pascal Siakam, Marcus Gasol, I don't know. But, you, you know, between two and one on each one of these teams, it's a massive gap between the two of them. But they're both... Built similarly, this is the two best players in the conference going head to head. I probably the best two rosters going head to head. I don't know. I wouldn't say coaches, but um, it, it's exciting nonetheless. It it, it almost felt inev- inevitable at some point. But Philly, to their credit, fought hard all the way through the end of that game and uh, almost pulled out a, a game seven upset in Toronto. Yeah, um, 
I just I just don't know how far you can get when your best player is always out of shape. Uh, if you're Philly, like Joel Embiid, <clears throat> he he needs to have a come to Jesus moment where he understands like conditioning is so paramount, especially when you get into the postseason, especially when you get into the second round, the third round, and then the finals. Because a lot of these really great successful teams, like it, another thing to add to Golden State's like wow how amazing they are is they routinely play until mid-June and then basically have maybe a month and a half or two off of basketball, and then they start over, and then they do... And then they win 55-plus games, and then they win another title. Like, they basically have two months off of basketball. And you know they're training at the time, except for Clay. Clay's partying in China. Being China Clay. <laughs> China Clay. Um, yeah, like, par- like, it's so important to be in shape. And if you're the guy on a team, and you, like, I mean... Watching that game, like, and I'll admit, I didn't watch it live. I regrettably watched Game of Thrones and then didn't. I stayed off Twitter and then watched the game kind of sped up um, on Hulu afterwards. And so I saw everything. But, like, that game late, Joel Embiid wanted nothing to do with, like, making the necessary plays to win games, except for the final play, because I thought he defended that shot as well as you could defend it. Yeah. Um, but he was. Just kind of slow, kind of lazy, kind of like setting screens like really high. It just it, he just had the body language of like oh, I can't do this anymore. Like I, I don't even know what they could have done in overtime, unless Jimmy Butler just went insane. Yeah, uh, that yes, I agree with everything you said. No, Joel was gassed. I mean, just absolutely gassed. And I always hear the. I've heard a lot of the Joel's huge. It's hard for him to be in shape. 44 minutes is a lot for a big guy. First off, Jokic played 60. Jokic did not look tired in this series, and he had every reason to look tired. Right. And then also, he's a doughboy. So all I'm going to say is not impossible for people like that, uh, for people built the way that he is built, to have some semblance of being in shape. Now, Jokic also just never runs the floor. He, like, trots the floor. And Jokic leads the break a lot, but he just, you know, he trots the floor. He doesn't, he's not exactly sprinting. Um, but Joel, he's got to figure that out. But he's a big guy. Big guys need to be in shape. But it's not like he was always a big guy. Joel is huge now. And I mean, not just tall, but just huge. He's a huge human. He was not that way in Kansas. Hmm. I Googled an image just to make sure I wasn't losing my mind. <laughs> But it's not like he was 380 pounds. And can't, I mean, he was a slender, wide-shouldered, well-built human. And he's put on a ton of weight. I assume a lot of muscle in the NBA. But it doesn't look just all like muscle. It looks like he's just carrying a lot more weight than he used to. I think that might have been a mistake. Where he was previously built a little bit more like, I would say naturally built like Anthony Davis-ish. Where you're like, wow, he's really large, but he's not heavy he's just large one of my greatest mistakes speaking of mistakes was picking kansas that year in the tournament andrew wiggins uh, joel Embiid. um yeah because I, I made my bracket pick kansas to win it all and then like literally the next day joel Embiid out for the tournament with back back issues i was like oh no and then they lost in the second round <laughs> that's not good <laughs> yeah they lost to josh eustace in the uh stanford cardinal shout out josh eustace. shout out josh eustace which um I'm right. I'm, I'm trying to have fun with the draft stuff as much as I can with the Thunder when you're picking 21. So I am basically like the four or five names that I've heard a lot 
around the Thunder. I'm comparing them to Josh Eustace's, um his original draft uh, NBA Draft.net analysis, seeing how similar a lot of these players are. Because guess what? There's a lot of similarities. Yeah, a lot of the same buzzwords. <laughs> which, if that doesn't excite you for the Thunder's draft, then I don't know what will. I I, I've, I say it every year. Find the guy who can't shoot, who can jump really high, and has a long versatile, wingspan. Versatile. Versatile yep. defender can guard yep. multiple positions. Well, he's going to be a defender day one in the NBA. Now, if they can get his jump shot figured out, he could really be something. That is just the quote-unquote line for the Thunder draft pick. Mm. Shout hate, out Perry Jones. Hate to see it. <laughs> hate to <laughs> see it. Hate to see it. Uh, all right. Um, let's do NBA Finals picks. Who do you think is going to win the East? Who do you think is going to win the West? We didn't talk about Denver and Portland at all. That was an incredible game seven on Sunday afternoon. CJ McCollum. CJ McCollum. It's just, somebody said it on Twitter. It's not my thought, but I, I certainly agree with it. He has to be one of the most underrated players in the league. And, you know, that, that's something that gets thrown around all the time, really liberally. But I think it it's really true because poor, people forget how good Portland is, like, in the regular season. Like, this is really surprising what they've been able to accomplish in the postseason. Um, Rodney Hood, injured left knee, return clean, and will be day-to-day per Shams. Okay, well, that's good. Um <laughs> Again, I think like this player is underrated. It gets thrown around a lot, but because like people forget about Portland because they're a West Coast team, because people forget about Dame because he's undersized and he hasn't done much in the postseason. CJ as the number two guy with Portland, it just adds to the fact that he is probably the most underrated player in the league. And I think people are really seeing, wow, McCollum gets you buckets anytime. Well, again, uh, him and Mike Conley can start in the all-underrated backcourt in the NBA. Yeah, if Mike Conley wanted to play and be healthy, then sure. <laughs> I want Mike Conley back with dreads. I was all I was all about dreads Mike Conley. I want Mike Conley on the Spurs. <laughs> Do you see, have you seen the rumor Kimba Walker? To the Spurs? Yeah. Man, they're going to just, about that? just mid-range it. Mid-range him to death. They're going to mid-range the hell out of him. Get in the paint. <laughs> All right, uh, so I'll go with Milwaukee, and uh, um, I was going to go Portland, but you know what? You talked me into it. I'll go Golden State. <laughs> um, like, okay, so Kate, Katie's probably not playing the first two games, but it, it's a great story what Portland's been able to do, and I think they, they rode a wave of momentum from Dame, like really taking the Russell Westbrook um, matchup personally. Not in not in the bad way, but just in the way of like I am a great player in this league and I demand respect. The only way I'm going to get it is if I basically embarrass Russell Westbrook and his team, and he did that. So um, what Portland's been able to accomplish, like complete and utter credit, should be given to them. But at the same time, should we expect anything different in this Golden State and Portland series than what we've seen in the past when these two teams meet up in the postseason? Sweeper, a gentleman sweeping five. Like, but Kevin Durant's not there. Golden State's still very good. In fact, their style of basketball comes out much better when Kevin Durant's not there bogging the ball down. Like, I think I saw a stat. They average around 298 passes per game with Kevin Durant. Without Kevin Durant, they average 350. Like, the ball swings. And I, I don't know if you were in the arena that night, but I was. Um, when the Warriors came to town and beat the hell out of the Thunder back in March, I think that was one of the. F- I think that was a game that Kevin Durant was expected to play in, and he didn't play that night. So it was like, oh wow, the Splash Brothers. It's gonna be like old school Splash Brothers, and that ball was swinging around. It just the Thunder's defense had no chance. Right. I, I just don't see how Portland 
has a chance in this. I mean, unless Dame just shoots lights out on bad shots, I mean, Golden State's going to respect him. Golden State's going to have guys that can defend him. I just don't see, like, I just don't see it. Like, this is this is Golden State in five at most six. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. Golden State in five would be my pick. The only, only single scenario can come up in my head where I could talk myself into believing Portland would have a chance if they can win one of the first two. Split in Golden State, which is going to be a very, very tall task. Which, good luck. Yes, yeah, split in Golden State, and then the Kevin Durant injury starts to linger. Where it's like, okay, well, he's not playing a game three or four either. So now there's two games at home in Portland. No Kevin Durant. If they, you know, yeah, if, it, you kind of go into that situation. If Portland gets a game early and then it becomes like a thing that looms over the Warriors of like Kevin Durant could play next game, but then he doesn't. Right. That's, and then Portland that has situation. that win already. That's when you could see some like weird, funky stuff go down, just similar to what happened with the Thunder and the Warriors in 2016. Because I firmly believe this this Warriors team, and they are drastically more talented than anyone, and they should they are the championship favorite for good reason. They should be. They are teetering though on an explosion. I I, I firmly believe that locker room is teetering. They're just they're looking for a reason to give up. We'll see. Like. Like they're tired. They just seem tired. I don't think. I think the opposites happen now because with, with Kevin that now. big um, end of the third quarter and then fourth quarter in Game Five, and then the huge win on the road in Game Six. I think you you're seeing the Warriors like, oh wow, remember how much fun this used to be, right? Before Kevin Maybe. got here, like, I think that that woke them up. I I think we've all been waiting for like somebody is going to wake the Warriors up, or they're not going to wake up and they're going to get beat probably by Houston, maybe by Milwaukee in the finals. Well, they woke up and they're they're still here. So, um, the this is a Warriors team that's now having fun. So when you're playing the Warriors and and that ball is humming, and they're having fun, like good luck not yep. losing by ten, right or more. <laughs> yep. Um. Oh yeah, and the whole can't play cancer thing, which has been really cool because I love Inniscanner, love Inniscanner, and I believed back in 2017 that. I thought that was a little silly to say if you're Billy Donovan. Like, put him in a better position. That's your job as a coach. Canner is a f- okay defender. Like, he's terrible when you put him on an island like the Thunder wants to do with the switch happiness. Um, but the can't play Canner thing is going to rear its ugly head because you cannot play him against... You cannot play him against Golden State. So, I'm sorry. Hopefully, Canner, um, Ramadan's almost over, so you can drink some water. <laughs> yeah, let's hope so. All right, I think it's going to do it for us on take number three. I think we're like three hours of audio oh, yeah. for a 40-minute podcast. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, so that's going to do it for us. Chisholm Holland, Brady Trantham. Follow us on uh, Twitter, at Brady Sports, at Chisholm Holland. As always, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review, and tell all your friends. We need all the help we can get here on the OKC82. Madison and Brady will be back on Wednesday, so make sure you uh, tune in for that as well. But anyway... Appreciate you. Thanks, Brady, for swinging by. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Chisholm.